Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Catherine Crisp, Associate Professor of Social Work and Master of Social Work Program Coordinator at the University of Arkansas, Little Rock. She is also a social justice educator and an LGBT researcher and educator. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mary. I'm delighted to be here. Now, I think that we all could learn a lot from Catherine, actually, but I have asked her to join us today specifically to teach us about another topic about which I know she is passionate. It's called Mindful Self-Compassion. Catherine, I first learned about mindful self-compassion a couple of years ago when I met you. So I imagine that many of our listeners may not have heard about this concept either. And when you first told me about it, I knew a little bit about mindfulness. I understand what compassion is, but mindful self-compassion combines some big ideas in a really compelling way. Could you start by defining what we mean by mindful self-compassion? Mindful self-compassion, or MSC for short, involves treating ourselves as we would treat a cherished friend. It consists of three separate parts that are kind of like a three-legged stool. First part is mindfulness, awareness of the present moment as it's occurring without pushing it away. The second leg of the stool is common humanity, which is our sense of connectedness to other people. And the third part is self-kindness, which is on some level very simple and on some level very complex, but actually being kind to ourselves. And each of these three components can actually work independently. It's kind of like they serve as a cane that assists us in walking, but when we put them together, they form this really beautiful stool that can provide a lot more support. And if we pull either one of them away, if we only use two of the three, then the stool obviously is not as stable. So taken in combination, it's just a wonderful and beautiful combination. I find that interesting. I guess it's just my instincts, but sometimes when I have been in conversation with somebody who's really down on themselves about something, oftentimes what I will say to them is, imagine that you have a friend or a child even that is telling you what you're telling me. What would you say to your friend that you love? And I guess what I've been asking them to do is practice a little bit of that mindful self-compassion to stop and say, I would be kind to someone else in this situation. So maybe I can be kind and compassionate to myself as well. And the thing I love about this is Chris Germer, you've read his books. He's one of the two founders of MSC. In his trainings and all of his teachings, he asks, in this soft and just beautiful voice, what do you need whispered in your ear? What are the words you need to hear at this moment? And it's interesting, as I was reflecting on this conversation, it really helped me kind of expand my awareness of MSC from a Christian perspective, because I also found myself thinking, if I believe in a loving God, which is, I think, so much of why I'm drawn to the Episcopal Church, because it's a loving God that wants the best for me, that wants me to be happy and joyous. And if Jesus were sitting here with me in this moment, what would Jesus whisper in my ear. And I say this, and this is the first time I've said this out loud. I'm kind of feeling my skin tingle a little bit, which is kind of cool. Well, I think that one of the things that intrigues me about mindful self-compassion is that there's some theological background here. The words passion and compassion have theological significance. 
In modern usage, we talk about passion as something that sparks an intense enthusiasm or a strong desire. In fact, I just used that word to describe a moment ago how you feel about MSC. You are passionate about mindful self-compassion, but the Latin root of the word actually refers to suffering. So many Christians are accustomed during Holy Week, for example, to hear the story of Christ's passion which is to say the story of his suffering and crucifixion for the sake of the world. So at first glance, these two definitions, the modern one and the archaic one, seem to be practically opposites. But actually, I think that what we can see on the cross is that Jesus's passion, his intense love for God's world, is also the source of his passion, that he cares so deeply that he is willing to endure great suffering for our sake. So if passion is suffering, and maybe particularly suffering from, are born from our love and longing, then compassion, the C-O-M added on to the beginning, is to suffer with, to be a companion in suffering. So I often look to Jesus not only as a model for suffering for the sake of others, but also as a model of compassion, because there are so many stories in the gospel in which he notices the suffering of someone else, and he stops what he is doing, and he responds with love and forgiveness and healing. I love that you brought in the definition of compassion, because that's the definition that we use in MSC, to suffer with. What throws people is the word self-compassion. When we think about self-compassion, technically it means to suffer with ourselves, to be with ourselves in a moment of suffering. And I think that one of the things that happens in the society is that we're taught to deny our suffering, as if somehow denying our suffering makes us tough, and it's somehow a badge of honor that we're so tough that we can kind of push it away. But the beauty of mindful self-compassion is that it permissions us to suffer with ourselves, to be with our own suffering without pushing it away, to acknowledge it in the heart and the heat of the moment as it's occurring. And when I think about some of the most compassionate people, I think that they probably were very compassionate with themselves as well. Because one of the things we say at MSC is that we say that mindful self-compassion is an inside-out job. When we start becoming more compassionate with ourselves, we become more compassionate with other people. And most of us were raised to think that it's only in being compassionate with other people that we can be compassionate with ourselves. But my journey is, is one of being compassionate with other people as a social worker and as a social work professor, and then starting down this journey of MSC and realizing that the more compassionate I am with myself, the more capacity I have for compassion for other people. As I've reflected on this, it's really made me think about Jesus. I mean, I really believe that in order to be so compassionate with other people, he had to have been compassionate with himself. And I think my experience of Easter has been different since my practices started because I found myself thinking when he is up there in the ultimate suffering moment, is he able to be compassionate with himself? Despite my scriptural ignorance, I want to believe that he was compassionate with himself because he was so compassionate even with his tormentors in those moments. You're right. 
right? And I think we see Jesus showing compassion to himself when he so frequently takes time away to pray or goes away with his friends, spends time with people he loves. I think that we see some of his compassion for himself there. In some way, I have to, when I think about how I need to apply compassion to myself, I will think about how I have applied compassion to others. But I actually think that the more transformative path is to learn to be compassionate toward ourselves and to let that self-compassion grow our compassion for others. So it's also interesting to me that despite all the Christian emphasis on compassion, in recent years, clergy have heard a lot about self-care. Nobody wants to have a burned out priest, of course. (laughs) So it's like the pressures to work hard and manage the complex needs of Christian community are balanced. We have this pressure to balance all of that with taking care of ourselves. And we mean by that eating well, exercising, watching our weight, doing things that we enjoy. I'm guessing that this is not just among clergy. I'm guessing that in other professions, you'll see an emphasis on self-care. But I think that self-care is different than self-compassion. What do you see is the difference between the two? Well, it's really interesting because I started teaching self-care in my social work classes probably about 10 years ago. And what we now teach in our MSC classes is that self-care is exactly the activities that you kind of describe. And I think we have a lot of information now about what self-care is, taking a walk, having coffee with a friend, going to the movies. The key distinction is that most of those activities require that we take ourselves away from our moment-to-moment experience. Whereas self-compassion can be applied in what I call not just the heat of the moment, but the heart of the moment. We don't have to step away from our experience of anything. We can apply self-compassion by leaning into the experience. And so we don't have to do anything different in the sense of we don't have to say, excuse me, I need a time out. Let me go de-stress for five minutes. I mean, even as this conversation is going on, I am practicing some elements of self-compassion to deal with the feelings and the anxiety that's arising. That's so helpful. I think that self-care still is important. It is important to step away sometimes, but it's at least as important to be able to stay in the moment and practice a little bit of self-care. I love this concept about self-compassion, but I have a sense that mindfulness may be a more challenging idea for some of our listeners. Talk to us about mindfulness. How does one become mindful? When I think about my intention to be mindfulness, because mindfulness is a lot about the intention. It's about just setting the desire to be mindful. But I wake up and I say, okay, today I'm going to focus on being mindful. And then, you know, I have 10 million moments where I'm not (laughs) mindful and maybe two moments where I am mindful. But I'm going to celebrate the two mindful moments. So it's inherently challenging, but it's also, I think it's challenging in part because it's so simple. The technical definition of mindful, being mindful or mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment as it's occurring without resisting it or trying to change it. And so as we are trying to be mindful, it's simply being in the moment. For example, right now I'm very aware, as I say, being in the moment, that I'm standing barefoot on the carpet and my feet are touching the carpet and my left foot feels slightly different from my right foot. 
the different hand gestures, you know, my thumb and forefinger touching one another. So I'm aware of all these little moments, all these little experiences that are occurring. And it's really about setting the intention. And then when our mind wanders, just going, oh, letting it wander and recognizing, well, my mind wandered. I wasn't so mindful. And returning back to the present moment, again, without judgment, without self-criticism. Yeah, that part is key, right? To be in the <laughs> present moment without self-criticism, just to be. And if we can be, if we can have just a moment of mindfulness, what we're doing is we're taking a break from our worries about what might be happening next or our regrets about what has already happened or are just that forward momentum that is constantly pushing us out of the present moment. So mindfulness keeps us right here. There's a story actually in the Gospel of John that I want to mention because I love this story. I think that it's an interesting example of Jesus practicing mindfulness. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. In that story, a group of people, a crowd gathers and they bring a woman who has been caught in adultery in front of Jesus. And they say, this woman has been caught in adultery and the law of Moses says to stone her. So what do you say? And it's this terrible, frightening, stressful moment. It's also meant to be a trap for Jesus. What does he do when they are demanding an answer? He kneels down and he writes in the dust with his finger. And the gospel doesn't tell us what he's writing, which I find so intriguing. He's just kneeling down, writing in the dust while this crowd is demanding an answer and ready to stone this poor woman. And finally, after taking this break, he stands up and then he says, Okay, the law of Moses says to stone her, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he kneels down and writes in the dust some more. (laughs) (laughs) And what he's done is I think he has grounded himself by being in the present moment. And then he asks the others to be present to themselves as well right? They're ready to stone this other person who has committed a sin. And he asked them to stop thinking about her. What have you done lately? (laughs) And it diffuses the situation. I think it's a wonderful story for many reasons, but it does seem to me to be an example of mindfulness, which I think is probably more difficult to explain than it is to experience. Could you give us, Catherine, an example of an exercise that Perhaps we could try at home. Yeah. So the story that you described, I actually see two of the three components, and I'm sure there's more to it. I see his mindfulness, but I also see when he says, you know, let those who have never sinned throw the first Mm -hmm. stone. That to me is common humanity. That's the second leg Mm -hmm. of the stool. And then I'm going to assume that there's some element of self-kindness that he's embracing on. And those three legs of that beautiful stool They comprise something that we call the self-compassion break. And it's my absolute favorite practice. It's the practice that if I can only teach something for 20 minutes, this is what I'm going to teach. I also call it the road rage practice because when I'm driving and I get stressed, it's the practice that I do. I mean, literally this practice can be done in 15 to 20 seconds anywhere. So why don't we just do it? Okay, let's do it. So what I do is I just encourage anyone who's listening to think of a situation that's just moderately stressful one or a two, and to note that it's stressful, perhaps to use some language. 
So I, I am stressed. So this is the mindfulness component. And then acknowledge that others have probably experienced something similar. Others are stressed too. And then remind yourself to be kind to yourself. And the words I use are simply, may I be kind to myself. So if we take the kind of elaboration away, it's a very simple practice. I am stressed. I am feeling whatever. Others are stressed. May I be kind to myself. And I have yet to find a situation where I can't do this practice. I have done it with students. I've done it in the grocery store. I've done it when I'm out for a hike. I've done it when dogs are barking. It's become an interesting kind of challenge. I've encouraged people to find a situation in which we can't do this practice. It's a one-size-fits-all practice. And the words for me, acknowledging what I'm feeling, I'm not alone in my suffering, and may I be kind to myself. And the beauty of the practices is that people can modify the language for whatever works for them. Suffering, stress, or not language that some communities, some cultures are comfortable with, so they use other language. And being kind to myself may be too much for people, so maybe they just say, may I not beat myself up today? <laughs> may I be gentle? really simple when you describe it this way. It's about first noticing what we're feeling in the present moment, acknowledging that we are not alone in having these kinds of experiences, and reminding ourselves to be kind, to give ourselves a break, to know that it's okay. Catherine, you have been learning about mindful self-compassion for several years. In 2018, you were trained as an MSC teacher, and you are now the only mindful self-compassion teacher in Arkansas. So you've been teaching classes and workshops for a little while now. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you become interested in this, and what has the journey looked like for you? It's truly been an amazing journey, and reflecting on this in my journey, I was trying to think, how do I simplify this? Because it's really kind of a very complex journey but I'll try and keep it simple. So I think like a lot of people, you know, I had a strong meditation practice and I meditated for several years, but in the course of that, start going deeper and mm-hmm. stuff starts coming up, you know, difficult emotions start coming up and continuing to sit on the cushion with those difficult emotions just wasn't working, particularly as an action person. Contemporary mindfulness meditation didn't really offer any response. And so I started kind of digging around. I started going to the literature. How do I respond to myself when this kind of ugly, difficult, painful, challenging stuff is coming up? There's a few other things that were going on. I was also looking to integrate this into my teaching of social work and particularly the fact that I teach a lot of social justice and social diversity classes at UA Little Rock. And I was looking for tools to offer students besides self-care. And then again, kind of coincidentally, I, at age 50, was diagnosed with an unexpected hearing loss 
in my right ear. And all of these things kind of came together. And particularly the summer in which I'm responding to my hearing loss, there's just a lot going on and I'm depressed. I'm having migraine headaches for the first time in my life. I'm on a search and I have no physical energy. So all I can pretty much do is, is sit at home and read. And I'm reading and I'm digging and I'm Googling. You know, I'm doing what we do in this contemporary age. And I stumbled across mindful self-compassion. I mean, it's in my family, we call these kind of things God things. It was a God right. thing. I was divinely led to this. And so it's the summer. And so I start to read this stuff. And then because there's more divine intervention, I return to classes in the fall. And I basically, I learned that I've got some professional development money to go to a workshop. And then I get something, actually, I think it originally went to my spam filter, but it's information about a workshop on mindful self-compassion. And the amount of money I've got is perfectly suited for this workshop. <laughs> And the workshop is also being offered in Denver, which will allow me to reconnect with a family member that once had been very important to me and I hadn't seen in probably 10 or 12 years. And keep in mind, I'm also dealing with my hearing loss and really figuring out how to negotiate life with a hearing loss at this point. Bottom line is fast forward, I go to this workshop. It's November. I've been wearing my hearing aid for two weeks at this point. Chris Germer leads 200 people through an exercise where he invites us to do some soothing touch. And so I put my right hand to my right ear and am just expressing compassion to my very damaged ear and felt a sense of release and relief and just started fighting back the tears. And at that moment, I knew a couple of things. I knew my life had changed for the better in the midst of all this, because being in a room with 200 people and everything, I was on sound fatigue, auditory, it was a very stressful experience. But at that moment, I knew that I was onto something and that what I had just done would lead me to places that I couldn't even begin to imagine. There was just something about the physical touch and being able to offer myself that compassion from there, it was just a series of serendipitous doors opening up. I knew not only had my life changed, but this was literally the answer to a lot of prayer and a lot of meditation, and that I would go on to teach this, despite the sense of being an imposter, all the imposter syndrome I had, but again, another opportunity for self-compassion. To say that MSE has changed my life would be an understatement, and as we were talking earlier, there's nothing in my life that I can't apply MSC to. It is the one-size-fits-all practice. And it's probably because it is so applicable to everything, it's probably why I'm so passionate about sharing it with other people. I don't believe it's necessarily going to work for other people. It's not going to work for everyone. But if they don't know about it, they won't have the opportunity to at least try it. Well, it does seem like a God thing to me, Catherine, that God brought this into your life. And when you share that with others, God is surely working through us right now to bring something that someone else is going to need. This is such an important and timely topic because in the midst of global and national and social crises, I think we're all experiencing pain right now in one form or another. And if I understand all this correctly, I think that mindful self-compassion is meant to be a tool to help us kind of change our relationship to pain. In one of the books that you gave me, Chris Germer talks about how suffering is actually caused by our resistance to pain. If pain is the discomfort that inevitably comes into our lives, resistance is our natural response to try to ward off that pain, to make it stop. 
So we might tense our bodies or spend a lot of time worrying or ruminating. And what we're learning here is that our resistance to pain actually amplifies it and increases our suffering. So Catherine, how can mindful self-compassion help us to cope with all the pain that is so much a part of our experience right now? The thing I love about MSC is that it gives us tools in which to lean in to the pain. And there's an expression both in the psychotherapeutic literature and in the meditation literature, and it says, what we resist persists. And there's another related expression to the effect of where attention goes, energy flows. So if we put our attention on our healing, if we put our attention on being self-compassionate with ourselves, if we put our attention on not resisting, but actually leaning in to our pain as opposed to stepping and running away from it, then that simple act can be healing. And I think even when people don't realize that they're running away, they're doing it, whether it's binge watching. For me, the way I ran away from my pain was being a workaholic. You know, look at me, I'm doing all this great stuff. I'm very successful. You know, I'm working 60 hours, but I'm kind of dead emotionally on some level and spiritually. And so when I stopped running by being a workaholic and started leaning into my pain, and as I started to heal the pain, that's just the cool thing, is it created more space for other things to come into my life. The pain was not dominating my life. It wasn't subconsciously influencing so much of my actions and thoughts and behaviors. And thus there was more space for me to do other things. So the pain got smaller when I started leaning into it and stopped resisting it. ago, I preached a sermon about suffering, and I always learn something new. God teaches me when I am preparing to preach a sermon. And in that sermon, I think the realization I came to was that as Christians, we're not trying to avoid pain or make it stop. What we are called to do is actually to offer it, to offer our pain to God. To me, that means recognizing it, that we had to stop and feel our feelings and acknowledge that it's there, acknowledge that it hurts. What I mean by offering is is to let God take that suffering, let God use that suffering for some kind of redemption. Now, I'd like to share a quote from The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion by Christopher Germer. He writes, a new approach is to change our relationship to pain and pleasure. We can step back and learn to be calm in the midst of pain. We can let pleasure naturally come and go. That's serenity. We can even learn to embrace pain as well as pleasure and every nuance in between, thereby living each moment to the fullest. That's joy. It may sound paradoxical, but in order to be happy, we must embrace unhappiness. So it brings us back to joy. And it suggests to us that a more joyful life is one that makes peace with pain. And the way we do that is through compassion. And for me, what you're talking about, it's what I call the incredible magic (laughs) of MSC. When we stop running from our pain, even though we don't think we're running from it, when we start embracing it, because now we have the tools. In the MSC program, the full eight-week class that I teach 
people leave that class with close to 30 different tools and practices. And the self-compassion break that we did earlier, that's just one of those 26 or 30. But when we lean into that, that pain, what happens is it becomes smaller and then there's room for other things. And in the five years that I've been doing this, you know, which doing MSC, which also coincides with the five years since my hearing loss and the five years since the onset of these incredibly disabling migraines, it's extraordinary to me that I feel like I've experienced more joy in those five years than in my 50 years put together in some ways, because I'm leaning in to the pain and the pain is becoming smaller. So it ceases to dominate my life. And then there's all this other space and spaciousness is this amazing concept in meditation. There's all this other space for joy, but I'm not going to get the joy if I don't lean into the pain. We can't just cherry pick and say, well, I just want to have a joyous life, but not have the pain. I mean, if anything, my hearing loss and some of the other things, they've made me appreciate some of those other moments all the more. But if I resisted all that, I wouldn't also have that comparable experience of the joy. And that's the magic of all this. We lean into the pain in parts so we can experience more joy. How amazing is that? It's expansive, which is yes. making room for more life, that abundant life and joy that Jesus came to give us. So I do believe that our joy is complete for today. Catherine, thank you for joining me for this. I think our listeners have probably learned a lot today. I know I have. And before we go, let's recommend a few resources. Catherine, you've given me two books, The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion by Chris Germer and Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself by Kristen Neff. Are there any other resources you'd like to recommend? And I'm also wondering, will you be teaching any MSC classes coming up? As to the resources, Chris Germer, G-E-R-M-E-R, is one of the founders. And I think his website is chrisgermer.com. Anything on his website is just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Kristen Neff is the other co-founder, and she's more of a researcher, so she doesn't do quite the number of practices. But either one of their websites are fabulous. But one of the people that I was reading before I found... Mm -hmm. Chris Germer and MSC was Tara Brack, T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-K. And she is fabulous. And she integrates self-compassion into almost everything that she does. And she's been very active in response to the pandemic and has, has really kind of ramped up her teaching and does a lot of free stuff. So anyone that Googles her will be able to find her. The other cool thing is that the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, which trains all the teachers and where I did my teacher training, is offering free daily guided mindful self-compassion sessions. They're 30 to 45 minutes long. And you don't have to have any MSC experience to attend one of these. So if people want to find out about this, then go to my website, which is very simple, katherinecrisp.com, and then click on a link that says mindful self-compassion, and then click on practice opportunities, and you'll see it highlighted. And the cool thing is that they are also doing affinity group sessions by POC people, so people of color, and that's once or twice a week. And they're also having affinity sessions for LGBTQ individuals, and I lead those, the LGBTQ sessions, mm -hmm. periodically. But if someone wants to go to a general session, there's four or five sessions on many of those days. It's all on Zoom. You'll see a link to a sign-up genius. You just sign up, and that's just in case they have 500 people, they want to expand their capacity. As to the classes that I'm going to be teaching right now, the plan is that I'm going to actually teach a class in the spring on Zoom. And the usual class is nine weeks, 28 hours. But I, this summer, spent some time getting trained to teach a short version. We literally call just MSC short. 
and it will be six weeks for one hour each week. And so we're going to skim the surface on some of this stuff. So if people want to take my six-week class, they can go to my website and simply click on the mailing list. And as I get ready to kind of roll those classes out, there'll probably be one or two in the spring. And I'll start to do one or two probably every semester here going fall and spring anyway. And they can just sign up and get information about that in the future. Those are wonderful opportunities. And I appreciate you offering all that, Catherine. If you're listening to us, I hope you'll take advantage of some of this if it interests you. So thank you all for listening today. I hope that you will take a little time today to stop, to notice what's going on inside of you, and to give yourself the gift of compassion. Do listen again next time, and remember that our J-O-Y is not complete without you. This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Mm-hmm.